0: It's the video taking over Atheist YouTube. Redeem Zoomers, all atheist arguments answered in 10 minutes. I've seen Prophet of Zod respond. I've seen Matt Dillahunty respond. So I thought I may as well get in on the action and give my own take on what is frankly, an excellent demonstration of the power of uncritically accepting religious dogma and the effect it has on a person's critical thinking skills. The way the challenges to atheism are presented in this video is that the straw man atheist will present a challenge and Redeem Zuma will answer that challenge both with spoken word and images and text on the screen. So if there is something I say in this audio format that doesn't make sense, it's probably because I'm referring to something on screen rather than what was spoken. So, if you're ready for a rapid-fire sequence of bad apologetics that Frank Turek would be proud of, strap yourselves in and hit the intro. I'm Deborah Grace, author of the book Crucifying the Bible, available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Tall Friendly
1: Atheist Dad Podcast
0: we are victim of illusion you are listening to the tall friendly Atheist Dead podcast and the next 30 seconds are brought to you by our album invisible light available at our bandcamp website
1: have a lot of arguments, but they never really think of anything new that the church hasn't had answers to for the past 2000 years."
0: Just because collections of people tied to the same theology come up with a response to a particular challenge to their belief does not mean that the challenge has been dismissed and that the belief therefore remains justified. I mean, Islam has objections and criticisms to Christianity, but I'm sure this person would come up with objections to their answers. And on this statement that... Atheists never really think of anything new. Most atheists in the Western world look at the natural sciences to get their information about the world around us. And it goes without saying that the fields of the natural sciences have showed that what people hundreds of years ago believed was caused by deities or their supernatural foes was just natural mechanisms all along. Diseases, mental health issues, rain, earthquakes, etc. To the extent that the church has had to concede points of science. For example, evolution. Evolution is now part of acceptable Catholic doctrine. And go check out BioLogos, a whole heap of old earth Christians who accept evolution. And far from the church having answers, It's no stretch to say that the church now has to resort to the misrepresentation of science by invoking God of the Gaps, or even worse, the Kalâm. So apologists, as stand-ins for the church and Christendom in general, have to swing from the fences with arguments like, but the universe had a beginning, or... How do you explain how life came from non-life? Or, you can't give what you don't have, therefore how does atheism explain consciousness? And maybe the worst one of all. You weren't there, but I have the word of somebody who was.
1: Religion causes wars. Well, actually, only 7% of all human wars were caused by religion, and if you remove Islamic wars, that number drops down to 3%.
0: This isn't an argument I primarily use. To me, the Christian God could still exist, and wars in its name could have been fought. However... I would see this as an argument against the existence of an omnibenevolent and omniscient deity who calls himself the Prince of Peace. And also against arguments that religion benefits society and has no drawbacks. But let's assume, for the sake of argument, that the statistic quoted by Redeem Zuma is true there is a difference between war being caused by religion and a war where religion was invoked. For example, the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland was divided very strongly down Catholic and Protestant lines, yet we know that conflict was actually about national self-determination rather than who had the right interpretation of scripture or even the current Israel-Palestine conflict. Is that a religious war, or is it merely religion being invoked? But what I would like to point out is that at no stage in any war involving Christianity or Christians did God himself come down and tell his people to stop
1: fighting. A lot of evil has been done in the name of religion. This is true, but the most murderous people in human history have been atheists. This doesn't mean religion is true, it just means you can't use that as an argument against it.
0: On screen, this gentleman is playing the royal flush of Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, and Mao Zedong. And yes, let me grant that, even in spite of some evidence to the contrary, that all these four people were atheists. Does that negate the point that a lot of evil has been done in the name of religion? This guy is using the Christian apologetic equivalent of Why are you giving me a speeding ticket? Everyone else is speeding as well. And how about before the 20th century? A time period when the church had a lot more influence in the world. Can you still say, But, but, but atheists! for the atrocities committed during a time period when you were punished for not only not being a Christian, but for being the wrong kind of Christian? And what about the sex abuse scandals that have engulfed numerous Christian churches and organizations today? Now, I tend not to use the religion equals evil card as an argument against God because a deity could still exist and not care what his followers do.
1: If you were born somewhere else, you wouldn't be a Christian. Okay, and if you were born somewhere else, you wouldn't be an atheist. Everyone's beliefs are shaped by their context.
0: I agree that, to an extent, people's beliefs are shaped by the context of their surrounding culture. But this doesn't get to the truth of a set of religious beliefs just the likelihood that someone would consider themselves to be affiliated with the religion of the majority of their peers. However, I would like to know which countries you're more likely to be an atheist in. America, for example, is still predominantly Christian, even though that number is dropping. In Australia, over 50% of people are religious in some way with only 38.9% of people considering themselves to be of no religion.
1: How do you know which religion is true? Well, everyone, religious or not, has faith in a certain worldview. It's just that some worldviews are called religions and some are secular. But everyone has to ask the question of which worldview best explains the world.
0: Okay, so some sneaky wordplay going on here. Redeem Zuma has his strawman atheist ask, how do you know which religion is true? And he responds with, we all have faith in a worldview, it's just that some worldviews are called religions. No, 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 my sneaky friend. A religion has defined moral codes, sacred texts, and required dogmas attached to them, and usually also punishment for apostasy. Whereas a worldview which he has listed as Epicureanism or Humanism or Existentialism on the screen, is simply a philosophy about the nature of our existence. Come and go as you please. And this is a bit of a dodge, because it's not answering how we know which religion, if any, is true. It's, again, the everyone else is speeding defence. Though I would agree that we have to ask which view best explains the world, and for me, that is a framework that doesn't incorporate the supernatural in any way, shape, or form. The greatest utility we get, and the most assured path to understanding the world around us, and granting us the technology to cure diseases and to travel to places far, far away, comes from the material sciences, and the supernatural doesn't answer anything.
1: There's no scientific proof that God exists. Well, by definition, science can only prove things inside the natural world. And by definition, God is something outside the natural world. So science can neither prove nor disprove God.
0: Firstly, you haven't established that God exists outside the natural world. You may believe that because the Bible says so, But that's not proof. This is more of an assumption or an article of faith. Second, the Bible demonstrates that God has no issue interacting with the natural realm. So surely when God does something like cure cancer or cause his son to appear on a piece of toast, we should have a way of being able to prove God did it, because all of those things are interactions with the natural world. Besides, when you pray to God, you do physical things, such as kneel or close your eyes or clasp your hands, and you speak words. Why do you do those material things when God is not a material being?
1: There's no evidence of anything supernatural. Well, that's just not accurate, there are medically documented cases of people with demonic possession speaking in languages they don't know, for example, and people with near-death experiences getting information they never had access to.
0: This still wouldn't constitute proof of the supernatural. It could well be that those people spoke unknown languages and got nuggets of information by natural means that we don't yet understand. There is no reason to invoke spirits or higher planes of being until we have a method to investigate such realms to substantiate such claims. Otherwise, we are falling into supernaturalism of the gaps. So on this screen, to answer this question, there is a picture of a book by Richard Gallagher called Demonic Foes. Now, as a hypothetical, Let's say I wrote a book that said Richard Gallagher is is a fraud. Now, whose book would be correct and how would we determine that? And the other thing to note is that why is it that the supernatural never bothers to possess anyone who is at a mental hospital in the presence of an emergency medical team? Why do they seem to possess people when they're alone? or in the room with people who have similar religious beliefs. (laughs) You know, for example, why is a Scientologist never possessed with spirits that require a
1: Catholic priest to exercise? I don't get it. The Bible has contradictions. Okay, you think you found an apparent contradiction that the church hasn't known about for 2000 years? Every apparent contradiction can be explained by understanding just a little bit of theology.
0: I don't care if the church knows about a contradiction or not. In fact, the church continuing to believe in the divine authorship of the Bible, despite the presence of clear and undeniable contradictions, shows the power of faith. And saying that every apparent contradiction can be explained by understanding just a little bit of theology, I agree. Some contradictions are merely apparent and can be reasoned out by a deeper understanding of the texts. However, some can't. Like in Mark, in the final week of his life, Jesus curses the fig tree, then Jesus and his disciples all go to the temple and clear the market and then return to see the fig tree withered. Yet in Matthew, Jesus clears the temple before cursing the fig tree which withers straight away. And in John's Gospel, there is a clearing of the Temple at the beginning of his ministry, not at the end, and no fig tree in sight. How is that for a contradiction?
1: The Gospels were anonymous. Okay, anonymous doesn't mean we have no idea who wrote them, it just means the names of the authors aren't signed in the text itself. But we literally have writings from church fathers who knew the apostles and can verify that they indeed wrote the books named after them.
0: Now, this is a problem in and of itself. Redine Zuma puts up a graphic of Saint Ignatius of Antioch, who apparently vouches for John. However, we actually don't have Saint Ignatius's own words to back that up. The closest we get is that Jerome stated that Polycarp was a disciple of John and knew Ignatius. And even if you accept this for John, what about the other three Gospels? And the other thing about tradition is that tradition is usually done by people upholding a religious belief or even a specific flavour of religious belief, not necessarily people who are interested in verifiable truths. And given some of the weird stuff that the Church Fathers believed and endorsed, I'm not sure I'd take their word as gospel truth. Now, yes, the Gospels are anonymous, and it goes further than, we have no idea who wrote them, or who did and didn't sign off on them. Now, I know this isn't much of an argument, but if I was to write a biographical account of the most revolutionary man in history showing how he is the way to God, the fact that I left my name off it would be incredibly strange, no? Especially when we consider the fact that when the apostles and other believers wrote letters to each other, They put their name to their work. Yet when these same believers wrote about their savior, they left their name off.
1: The Gospels misquote Jesus. Now, it's true that a lot of secular scholars think the Gospels are a mix of real quotes from the historical Jesus and fake quotes added by the church. But none of them can agree on which quotes are legit and which are not. So we can discard their opinions. Wow.
0: This seems to be the most blatant admission that Redeem Zuma will believe regardless of the facts or of the opinions of experts. But if Redeem Zuma wants to play that card, let me play it back. Since none of the religions in existence today can agree on which one is the one true faith, we can therefore discard all of their opinions, including that of Redeem Zuma.
1: Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. He didn't say, I am God, worship me, but he showed that he was God in many places in all four Gospels by doing things that only God can do. It's true that he didn't walk around before his resurrection claiming to be God because he wanted people to figure it out themselves. That's why he kept saying, who do you say that I am? However, after his resurrection, people figured out that he was God and Jesus congratulated them.
0: In John's Gospel, Jesus is quoted as saying, I and the Father are one and if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Essentially, he is God, which goes against Redeem Zuma's point that Jesus preferred to show rather than tell. On the contrary, in Luke, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone, i.e. Jesus isn't God. And in Mark's gospel, Jesus became God's son, i.e. he also wasn't God. So the fact that the Gospels present a mishmash of theologies on the one issue means that there are contradictions.
1: The later one of the Gospels was written, the more divine it makes Jesus seem so we can extrapolate that Jesus was originally a human figure who got made more divine over time. All right, maybe some Gospels emphasize Jesus's divinity more than others, but what about Paul's letters that fully confess the divinity of Jesus and were also written before any of the Gospels? So that breaks your pattern.
0: It's not just emphasizing Jesus's divinity that the later Gospel authors do, but essentially rewrite Jesus to the point that by the time we get John's Gospel, there is an open hostility between the Jews and Jesus, Jesus' last words get changed alongside the respective narratives about his resurrection and post-resurrection activity. And adding Paul into the mix is a red herring. Paul never wrote any Gospels. But second, and probably the most important is that Paul never wrote about a Jesus on earth who had a ministry. In fact, Paul's Jesus was coming, not returning, and the only time anyone saw Jesus was after his death and resurrection.
1: The Bible supports slavery. No, it doesn't. Just because there's slavery in the Bible doesn't mean the Bible supports it. There are some Old Testament verses that could be interpreted as condoning slavery, but Jesus himself said that the Old Testament made accommodations to people's sinful state. And also, slave owners in the American South had slave Bibles for their slaves to read, but it omitted a lot of the real Bible, so if the Bible actually did support slavery, this wouldn't have been necessary.
0: There are some OT verses that look like they condone slavery. Oh, oh boy, what a clown this guy is. Or even worse, what an apologist he is. (laughs) I'm sorry, sorry for laughing, but you can't try excuse the slavery issue away with it looks like the Bible supported slavery. When there are entire passages that tell you who you can and can't enslave, how long to enslave them for, and under what circumstances they can or can't go free. For example, in Deuteronomy 20, God tells Joshua that whatever towns Israel comes across when they go into the promised land, Israel is to approach the town to make a treaty. If the town accepts the treaty, the residents of the towns are to become Israel's slaves, and if not, the men of the town are to be slaughtered and the women taken captive. Charming. We also see in 1 Kings 9.15 where it says that the temple, you know, where God put his name, was built by forced labor. So it seems God himself had no such problem with slavery. But Redeem Zuma shows himself to be an apologist by bringing up the Jesus said Moses allowed divorce. Excuse. I find this an interesting cop-out. God is so powerful and decisive that he can say to the Israelites, don't murder, don't steal, don't eat shellfish, and don't you dare work on the Sabbath. But for slavery, he has to tiptoe around the issue because of our sinful nature? I mean... People commit adultery all the time, you know, because it's our sinful nature. So why didn't God make any accommodations for extramarital sex? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, he did. Polygamy and concubinism. Besides, on the divorce thing, God, through Moses, really only made one pronouncement on how to go about divorce, Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 to 22, whereas The Bible makes multiple pronouncements on how to get slaves, on how to get slaves, and how to deal with them. And yes, there was a slave Bible. Now, I will concede that there are some verses in the Bible that can be interpreted as being anti slavery, sure. But let's face it, is there any singular New Testament verse that condemns or prohibits slavery? as strongly as any singular Old Testament verse that outright encourages or permits it? No.
1: Christianity supported slavery. Well, sure, some Christians did, but all human civilizations have had slavery. Christian civilization was the first one to abolish it on moral grounds. The fact that you're against slavery is due to Christian influence. Also, most organizations fighting modern day slavery are Christian.
0: And again, out comes the
1: But everyone else was speaking. apologetic. But all human civilizations have had slavery. Not all. For
0: example, the Incas didn't, and neither did the indigenous peoples of Australia.
1: Christian civilization was the first one to abolish it on moral grounds.
0: Even if I grant that, which I don't. It seems strange that it took humans who had exposure for 1,800 years to God's perfect word to reach that conclusion, and then to end slavery, it was Christians fighting against other Christians. Anti-slavery Christians fought on moral grounds, but so did the pro-slavery Christians.
1: The fact that you're against slavery is due to Christian influence.
0: No, no, I'm against slavery because it's bad for society, as well as for the slave and their families. At no stage does the Bible say slavery is bad for society or for the families of the slaves. So even if my reasoning relies on Christian influence, that Christian influence is not supported by the Bible.
1: Also, most organizations fighting modern-day slavery are Christian.
0: Incorrect. If you go to the website enslaverynoworg forward slash connect, you can search for anti-slavery organizations by country and for example if you filter to australia every single organization listed is secular not once in any of the about pages do those organizations mention god the bible jesus sin or any bible verses there may be some christian anti-slavery organizations
1: But I can't agree most. God killed tons of people in the Bible. Well, it's actually way more than that. God numbers everyone's days. He's the giver of life, so he can take it, especially if people sin.
0: So what you're saying is that, yes, the God you worship is a mass murderer, but you don't care because your religion requires you to warp your morality. Got it.
1: Atheist countries are more prosperous. Yes, it's true that Northern European countries are very prosperous and very secular, but correlation doesn't equal causation. It's not like atheism causes prosperity, it's that prosperity causes atheism because when people have comfortable lives, they don't feel a need to depend on God. But why are these particular countries so prosperous in the first place? They may be secular now, but they're rooted in generations and generations of Protestant Christianity. If you want an example of a country that's atheist and not rooted in Christianity, look at Communist China.
0: The argument that atheist countries are more prosperous is a tough one to make because you need to define what makes a country atheist as opposed to merely secular. For example, is America a Christian country? Well, it has plenty of Christians and provides the environment for Christianity to become a business, but the separation of church and state ensures that politically America is secular. But we know that America is prosperous. On the other hand, Africa as a continent has just as much Protestant Christianity as America, but isn't what we would call prosperous to the same level America is. Whereas Great Britain literally has its own state church, the Anglican Church, but is prosperous. Now, on the screen, he has the words, Correlation doesn't equal causation. A maxim he violates 10 seconds later when he says,
1: They may be secular now, but they're rooted in generations and generations of Protestant Christianity.
0: And then his argument that prosperity causes atheism is debunked by his mention of China. China does not have a history of Christian tradition, yet its GDP is the highest in the world. Go
1: figure. There's 4,000 gods that people believe in, and you're atheist to 3,999 of them. I just go one god further. Okay, this isn't the gotcha that you think it is, because the question of whether some sort of God exists is fundamentally different from the question of which religion is right about God. Okay, this isn't the gotcha that you think it is.
0: Sorry, it kind of is. I mean... You, as a Christian, would be no doubt happy to dismiss and debunk arguments for the existence of Zeus or Isis or numerous other deities, but when it comes to your deity, you put up a wall of flimsy excuses. Now, I grant that this isn't an argument against the existence of God, It's more an argument about why we shouldn't believe fundamentalist claims about unprovable things over claims made by anyone else about
1: their unprovable things. If God created everything, then who created God? Well, God is defined as the uncaused causer. Everyone knows there needs to be a first cause at the beginning of the chain of all events in the universe, and it makes a lot more sense for that first cause to be a personal God who caused things for a reason rather than some random impersonal force.
0: God is defined as the uncaused first cause. That sounds like special pleading to me. And again, this is a claim, not a fact we can rely on as proof of any other claims. And if you want to say God is the best explanation, I could just as easily argue that being in a matrix simulation is just as good an explanation as God. Can you disprove that we are in a matrix-style simulation?
1: Science disproves God. Well, actually, the church invented modern science. All the founders of the scientific revolution deeply believed in God, and medieval theologians laid the groundwork for modern science by saying the world was governed by an intelligent creator. That means we can understand the world with our intelligence, and studying God led to studying the world because the world is God's creation.
0: His argument here is essentially that the church invented modern science, but that's not quite correct. And I'm going to argue a distinction here. It was that a number of forefathers of modern science were Christian, as opposed to the church as an organized body. But I agree, yes, that a lot of the early forefathers of modern science were Christians, But at that point of time in history, not only was being an atheist bad for your health and social standing, but so was being the wrong kind of Christian. So we can't pretend that Christianity and its representative bodies have always been this feel-good benevolent institution that promotes rational inquiry. And the argument that Christians created science also overlooks the fact that during various periods in history, the Greeks, the Chinese, and even Islam have all created inventions and contributed to the body of knowledge and investigation before the modern establishment of science.
1: God is just used to fill in the gaps of things that science can't explain yet. Well, actually, God is the reason for everything, even things that science can explain. It's not one or the other. It's not like everything's explained by either science or God, and the more science can explain, the less God can explain. Really, science can explain almost everything, but God is still behind it all, because science explains the how, and God explains the why.
0: Is this guy even trying to answer the question? Seriously, this is lazy apologetics. And even if God is the why, this doesn't rebut the accusation that God is just a gap-filler. Because quite often, especially in relation to intelligent design arguments, God also gets invoked as the how, not just the why. Besides, why isn't really a scientific question. That's more of a philosophical discussion. But let's grant that God is the why behind everything and use it to answer a series of questions. Why do miscarriages happen? God! Why does cancer exist? God! Why does flesh-eating bacteria exist? God! Why do earthquakes happen? God! Why did I fail my class? God! So even if God is the why, it's not a very good why.
1: If God is good, why can't he destroy all evil? Well, he eventually will.
0: But that's a claim. That's not proof of anything. We have no actual proof that God can destroy evil or even will destroy evil or even that he claims he will destroy evil. It's just a claim from a book. So I find it interesting that Redeemed Zuma anchors his morality to this way of thinking.
1: Why can't he do it now?
0: Because he'd have to destroy you. Okay, let him destroy me. What's stopping him now? You know, it's weird. I just didn't know that God's master plan to bring mankind into eternal bliss in an everlasting paradise is being scuppered by the existence of one person. And then let's say that in 30 years time that one person dies. Will God destroy evil then? Or will God's master plan be scuppered by the existence of someone else? If the most powerful being in the universe keeps having his plans ruined by the creatures he supposedly has power over, something isn't making sense.
1: Why does God let any bad things happen? Because we deserve it.
0: This guy sounds like he's trying to justify
1: being in an abusive relationship. Well, Animals don't sin, so why do they suffer? Well, the Bible says all things will be restored. So if God is good, we can assume that they will be compensated.
0: But this says nothing about alleviating suffering in the here and now and is actually kind of a dick move. I mean, imagine if you had invented the cure for cancer. A desperate child came to you for the cure and you refused to give them the cure because you were waiting for your Ferrari to come from the dealership. That would be a dick move. Then on the screen, he quotes Ephesians 1.10. But I don't think he knows what Ephesians 1.10 is really referring to. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together in Christ. But this says nothing about alleviating suffering in animals. It's all just esoteric mumblings.
1: How do you know that God isn't evil instead? Well, because evil is not a thing the way good is. Just like cold is just a lack of heat and dark is just a lack of light, evil is just a lack of good. And for good to be objective, it needs to come from God. So a God who is objectively evil is logically impossible.
0: Evil being defined as a lack of good wouldn't get you very far in discussions about ethics. And as someone on my Twitter thread remarked recently, if you believe in disembodied minds, you've ruled yourself out from sane opinions about philosophy. Because as an example, what would God's opinion be on people in impoverished Central American nations being involved with drug dealing as a way to earn money to feed their families? What about people evangelizing online using phones and computers made from materials mined from socially unstable parts of the world, prone to corruption and unethical labor practices? The other thing is that you're now defining morality in reference to God rather than with regards to human well-being, which is actually kind of dangerous because, hypothetically, God could appear in the sky and declare that only bank robbers
1: will be allowed to enter heaven. And what are you going to do? Argue morality with God? Can God make a rock he can't lift? Well, you're just asking if God can contradict himself, like, can God lie, or can God change, or can God make another God? And the answer to all those things is no. God being all-powerful means he can do anything to things outside himself. It doesn't mean that he can do anything to himself or that he can contradict himself.
0: Now, I was going to ignore this argument because can God make a rocky cart lift? is more of a philosophical discussion rather than an argument against the existence of God per se. And I can't remember ever using it in actual proper religious discussions. I think it's a silly question, almost as silly as, what if you're wrong? But then, Redeem Zuma went and said something stupid by saying that God cannot lie, and God cannot change, and God cannot make another God. Conversely, God changes numerous times in the Bible. I mean, even the fact that God has a son in the New Testament is a massive change from Pentateuch theology. You know, where God says, I, the Lord, are one. And how about the statement, God cannot lie? Well, 1 Kings 20, God sends an evil spirit to deceive someone in order to kill them. In Jeremiah four ten, it says, Lord, how greatly have you deceived these people. Jeremiah 27 says, Lord, how you have deceived me. And Ezekiel 14, 9. And if the prophet be deceived when he have spoken a thing, I the Lord have deceived that prophet. Besides, if you say God cannot lie, you're essentially saying God can create universes and cure diseases and generate natural disasters. But he couldn't possibly lie. And can God create another God? Well, that would be two things that don't exist.
1: Why did God let evil exist at all? So he could be glorified in defeating it. Triumph over evil is a greater good than evil having just never existed.
0: Which is a bit of a weird way to admit that God has no interest in remediating the evil and suffering that you personally are going through in the here and now. It also means that good incorporates evil meaning there is essentially no difference between good and evil. (laughs) You know, the part in the Bible where it says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Redeem Zuma, better watch out. And it all means that God is a self-centered narcissist. I mean, if I created a disease and had the cure for that disease, but didn't release the cure until I knew people would praise me for it, that makes me a psycho. But when God does it,
1: Religion is just wishful thinking. Well, if that were true, then the Bible wouldn't be all about how much we all suck.
0: That doesn't defeat the atheist argument at all, because one way that cults work is by telling you how much of a bad person you are of how you need redemption, and that they just happen to have the cure. I mean, look no further than Scientology. A religion about an evil alien king that released spirits onto Earth that attached themselves to our bodies... Or look at Islam, whose literal meaning is submission to God's will. Guy's a
1: clown. Psychology explains why you believe in God. So what? If God is real, we should expect there to be some psychological or social benefit to believing in him.
0: You know how before, Redeem Zuma said correlation doesn't equal causation? He again violates that by essentially saying that belief in God wouldn't have a benefit unless God is real. But by that argument, aliens are real because I've never met a sad UFOologist. So it's clear that this guy does not know psychology, sociology or how logical fallacies can lead to flawed arguments. And besides, how would he explain the numerous Christians that suffer from depression, anxiety and other mental health issues?
1: spiritual experiences can be explained by brain chemicals. Well, romantic experiences can also be explained by brain chemicals, but that doesn't mean your wife isn't real. So spiritual experiences being explained by brain chemicals doesn't mean that God isn't real.
0: True, but I could show you a photo of my wife and prove her existence. Besides, let's grant his inference that spiritual experiences in the brain are caused by real phenomena. Remember his earlier point, that science can only deal with things in the natural world. Well, if the spirit world does interact with the human brain in a way that creates spiritual experiences, then the interactions of the spiritual world with the human brain should be repeatable, testable, falsifiable, investigatable. But they're not.
1: Well, drug trips show that spiritual experiences are from the brain. Well, people who have had both drug trips and near-death experiences say that they're completely different categories of feeling.
0: Just because drug trips and NDEs are different does not mean that they're based on real phenomena.
1: The story of Jesus was copied from the story of Horus or some other ancient character. Okay, dude, that's a Reddit atheist level myth. Even atheist scholars know that that's silly.
0: Jesus wasn't so much a copy of another religious figure, it's more that he was the figurehead for a Jewish syncretization of Greco-Roman religion. Because, I mean, let's say Jesus was born of a virgin and had his birth prophesied, and did miracles and was betrayed by his followers and underwent post-mortem apotheosis, Jesus would be the exception in that out of all the figures in ancient history who were born of a virgin and had their birth foretold and did miracles and were betrayed by followers and underwent post-mortem apotheosis, Jesus would be the only one to be an actual historical figure. I do also find it interesting that God didn't realise he had a son until the Jews were surrounded by cultures who believed their deities had children born by mortal women.
1: Faith is the opposite of logic and reason. No, it's not. Faith just means trust. Anytime you eat food, you're having faith that it's not poisoned, even if you can't scientifically prove it. If you're married, you have faith that your wife loves you, even if you can't scientifically prove that. And if you tried to scientifically prove it, she'd probably get very mad at you because it would mean you didn't trust her.
0: Did someone just order a steaming hot fresh equivocation fallacy? Because that's what this response by Redeem Zuma is a seeming hot-fresh equivocation fallacy. Yes, in one definition, faith means trust through repeated experience. But when we say faith in a religious context, we mean the ascent of the mind to the truth of an unproved proposition. Nice try, bucko.
1: Evolution proves God didn't create the world. Well, not necessarily. God often works through natural processes in the Bible. And for all of church history, there have been prominent Christian theologians who have had a more metaphorical interpretation of Genesis, even well over a thousand years before Darwin existed.
0: And yet another straw man of an atheist argument. Evolution doesn't necessarily disprove God. It more disproves a literal reading of Genesis. And also, evolution is not about God making the world. Evolution is about the diversity of life on Earth and the relationship between Homo sapiens and all the other species. Now, St. Augustine may have been ahead of his time by understanding Genesis as allegory, but this goes against the theology of modern-day organizations such as AIG, who would no doubt consider Augustine or Origen as compromisers at best or heretics at worst.
1: Christianity only spread because of military conquest. Well, eventually they did do military conquest, but for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was illegal, and it took over the Roman Empire despite that because of how popular it became.
0: Oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) Redeemed Zuma, and anyone who thinks like him, really need a history lesson. But first, a a small point. On screen, Redeem Zuma's strawman atheist states, Christianity spread by military conquest, but Redeem Zuma has him saying only by military conquest. The first is true in some points in history, the other is completely wrong. So even here, Redeem Zuma loses an argument to a straw man atheist. Now, Christianity wasn't illegal. Yes, Christians were put on trial at various times, but they were brought in for questioning on treason and for plotting against the state, not for being Christians per se. Rome generally allowed you to have whatever beliefs you wanted. I mean, the cult of Attis and Cybele had an annual festival where men dressed in women's clothing and cut off their penises. But as long as you didn't try to overthrow the emperor, or even look like you were trying to, you were fine. So no, Christianity wasn't illegal. And even if it was, it wasn't illegal from the time of its inception all the way up until 300. It may have been illegal at some points in time, but not through that entire point of history. Then the part where he says it spread because of how popular it became. This again is wrong. Christianity spread in the 300s because Constantine made it the official state religion and put the hammer down on all the other religions. Oh boy, it's bad arguments like this that make me realise the level of brainwashing I escape from when I stop being a fundy Christian.
1: Constantine invented what we now know of as Christianity. Again, read at atheist level myth, atheists can do better than that. Listen to an actual scholar.
0: Wow, who knew hand-waving was such a powerful answer? But is the argument that Constantine invented modern Christianity a bad argument? Yes and no. It's wrong, but not entirely wrong. Constantine didn't invent modern Christianity. Modern Christianity was essentially born out of the Great Awakenings between the 1600s and 1800s, or even 1900s if you include the Fourth Great Awakening, which themselves were born out of the Protestant movement of Martin Luther and the widespread availability of the Bible texts. Which was because Martin Luther had a grudge against the Roman Catholic Church that Constantine helped create, you know, the Roman part of Roman Catholic Church.
1: If Christianity is true, why are there so many denominations of it? Well, yeah, there are a lot of denominations, but the things they agree on are a lot more significant than the things they disagree on.
0: But that doesn't answer why so many denominations or why they have waged war on each other at various points in history. Besides, just because numerous organizations and congregations agree on certain points doesn't make those points true.
1: There's no evidence for Jesus outside the Bible. Well, that's not true. There's the ancient Jewish historian Josephus who wrote about Jesus, and he's one of the reasons why even secular scholars know Jesus historically existed.
0: Tell me you uncritically accept apologist arguments without saying you uncritically accept apologist arguments. So on the screen, regime Zuma has the Testimonium Flavianum, a paragraph that is found in the book Antiquities of the Jews, a history of Judaism written by Flavius Josephus, a Jewish general who defected to the Roman side after his surrender during the siege of Yodfat in, I think, 66 or 67, around, around that time. However... Anyone who doesn't have their head up their theological backside will know that the Testimonium Flavianum is understood to be at least a partial forgery, if not an outright forgery. And one of the biggest reasons is its odd placement in Antiquities of the Jews. The very next paragraph after the Testimonium Flavianum says, and at about this time, another sad calamity befell the Jews. Which is odd, we just had an advertisement for the most awesome man in history, and now another sad calamity? But no, go read some of the scholarship on the Testimonium Flavianum. No one is denying that Christians existed, using Josephus to prove that Jesus existed? Better read up buddy.
1: You really think God made billions of galaxies with billions of stars in each of them just to have a personal relationship with you? Yes.
0: You, sir, sound like you're in a cult.